0: nurturing they'll actually call chris mom or when they want me to you know tickle them or chuck them up in the air they'll even call they'll call me dad um so and i think that you know it's hard for men to take on that maternal role but the benefits are just so great not just for the girls but for the men themselves you know so i mean the studies are very clear that if a girl has an involved dad in her life that makes so much difference to every aspect of her life her body image her risk-taking behavior her choice in partner her um, academic performance whether or not she gets an eating disorder her mental health you know we know that that dads are absolutely bang for buck and in a way it kind of breaks my heart as a mother because you think you know mothers work so hard but it's the dads really like a good dad is just invaluable to, and when I use the word dad, I mean man, a good man in a woman's, in a girl's life that is stable, and that can show her how she should expect to be treated, how other women are treated, um, that she can rely on and ask for advice. Um, so I think that certainly, you know, for girls, it, it's, it's... Sorry. Mm-hmm. all good. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> was that Chris he must have known I was talking about him um,
1: absolutely
0: but also like for the dads who are involved you know to actually have that really nurturing and connected relationship with their with their daughter or, or with their son is also invaluable you know we talk about men who are being lonely in life and they feel disconnected from the world and I think that their greatest connection or potential for connection can be living under their own roof and is absolutely desperate to have a connection with their father, these girls or these boys, but it's just not available. And I also, I think a part of it is we set men up for failure in that we don't give them access to the role of fathering from the very beginning. You know, like when Violet was born, Chris and I had never been alone in the same room with a baby without supervision. (laughs) we needed to ask a nurse in a hospital to tell us how to put on a nappy so both of us were learning from the very beginning how to parent chris took six weeks off he was very fortunate to be able to be home for those first six weeks to learn how to parent as i learned to parent if he'd been back at work within a few days he would never have learned begun the, the journey of learning how to parent and because um He's an academic and he had flexible hours. He, We learnt that together. Whereas a lot of dads, they don't get the opportunity to learn the skills as the mother does and therefore they never they never bridge that confidence gap to uh, fulfil the role of fathering even if they want to. Well,
1: th- thanks for that, Casey. That was actually really erudite. It was great. I think, um, I mean, the, 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 the roles are so changing as well, I think if we compare back generations the thought of uh father being at home and involved in the parenting in the we it, it, it just it's unthought of while well, now you, it's like a given you know you like it, it, there's no uh there's no thought that you know it, it's not that it's an even relationship but you know it's not simply man breadwinner mother you know mother brings up child kind of thing it's 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 a combined act but it's Still a challenging act.
0: Oh, yeah, look, it's not all rainbows and unicorns for sure. And, you know, I think the test of a good father is not what he wants to do with the kids. It's what he does with the kids when he doesn't want to. Because a lot of the time parenting is not fun and you would rather be somewhere else. But a good parent, whether it be a good mother or a good father, is still there even when they would rather be somewhere else.
1: All right, let, let, let's broaden it a bit. Um, Where How would you think society's tracking with regards to gender inequality at the moment? <laughs> um, I,
0: saw, I saw you write that question. <laughs> I'm not very optimistic that much has changed in the last decade. Um, I think what has changed is we're discussing it more, but in terms of the actual behaviour and the the expectations and the policing that is performed on each gender role i am not very confident that we're making much progress at all
1: do you i mean do you think it's our leaders that are not representing themselves particularly well i mean we've got you know uh, potentially the most uh sexist president that we've ever had in place um
0: and and it doesn't seem to matter you know, like in the beginning, you know, when, when Trump first got elected, I was thinking, well, how many women is it going to take? How many cases of misconduct and sexual harassment and sexual assault is it going to take before people reach their threshold? And I've come to the conclusion that there is, there is no limit because it, it just doesn't matter. People don't care enough about the rights of women to vote differently or to, yeah, make
1: different political decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I think the last few days it's sort of come through with uh, both the, you know, applauding and criticism of Greta, this, you know, teenage warrior from Sweden. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm amazed the amount of backlash that she's received that's come through and it's, you know, irrespective of your view on the environmental you know side of things i'm amazed by people willing to have a go and attack a 16 year old girl
0: yes Uh, i'm not amazed actually um what amazes me is that it hasn't become sexualized yet yeah um because that's usually i mean they are they're playing they're playing the mental health card I haven't seen too much appearance based criticism yet, but and that surprises me because that's usually the first, <laughs> the first front of attack. Um, I see that all the time. You know, when people dislike what I say, the first thing is, you know, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm barren. I'm saying this because I'm ugly and unfuckable and. Um, you know, no one will marry me. You know, despite the fact that I'm married with two kids, that doesn't mm. seem to matter. Um, and people will find photos of me and then try and get uh, every their mates to get on board to, board to comment on how ugly I am. Um, and I know that this is different because Chris is a writer too, and we write about the same subjects. And his appearance is rarely, if ever, criticised or. Um, used as a way to
1: discredit him. I mean, do you think that's a major? I mean, because that firstly, that's awful that that's going on for you uh, every time you sort of voice an opinion which isn't the you know necessarily the company line kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, that really, that actually, genuinely ups it. Upsets me. Do you think that is a, a purely a difference of the sexes? Women's appearance is open, you know, for debate while men it's it's never about that
0: yes absolutely i I mean there's two things going on first of all it doesn't matter what i say i will get this criticism so first of all it's about a woman taking up public space which offends people but secondly the reason why um the the criticism and the trolling is about my appearance and about my um sexual desirability is because people still believe that that is the core value of a woman. So they think the best way to take me down and hurt me is to say that I am ugly and no one wants to have sex with me. If if people didn't think that, they'd go after my ideas. They'd go after my writing. But the fact that they go after my appearance says that that's, that's what they think is the most important thing about me. That's what defines me.
1: So, I mean, is the majority? I mean, is the majority of the criticism around literally around appearance and all that kind of stuff? It's not. A, it's not about your arguments.
0: No, I mean, people do argue back with me, and you know, I have more respect for that. You know, I, I have a public platform. I by doing that, I invite debate, and that's fine. But no, it's mostly. Um, criticisms about me being fat, ugly, barren, unfuckable, and then I get the rape threats and the you deserve to die, I want to kill you threats.
1: Uh, it's just your average Wednesday afternoon kind of... <laughs> it's quite amazing how I have become
0: desensitised to it. In the beginning, I used to get very upset by it, um, but 10 years on, I now have strategies in place so I don't see it as much, but you know, when someone calls you mobile and says they threaten to rape you, well, you can't avoid that. Um, those worry me. Mostly, I, I'm worried of, for my children. Yeah. So I, I do take steps to, you know, there's no photos of them online, and we're very um, private without with our details.
1: Well, I, th- I think yeah, I think the issue of being a uh, public figure is a whole, it's a whole extra element. But that, I mean that 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 is horrific stuff that you're describing and you know I've I've read a lot of your stuff and I wouldn't say that it's uh it deserves that much uh vitriol like it's not it's not that controversial not to underplay what you do it's actually uh, like every time I've read your stuff it's completely reasonable and eye-opening well I
0: would agree that I'm not that Controversial, and that's what in the beginning, when I first started getting the trolling, I really thought it was me because I thought, What have I done that is so bad that would provoke this reaction? And so I kept looking at my writing, going, What have I done that's so offensive? And what you know, I assumed that it was my blind spot. Um, But now, you know, really, it absolutely does not matter what I write, (laughs) I could write a story about daffodils.
1: And you know butterflies, and I would be uh, uh, That I mean that it's it's funny I was seeing yesterday a friend of mine was there was some stuff again about greta um and people doing playing that whole mental health card uh, the mental health kind of issue with her, and you know autism and things, and then somebody put in what looked like uh, a recipe for cooking pasta and people were saying it's great what you've said and really uh, you know sort of saying he was using some analogy to making pasta and things like that and the guy actually said I responded to the wrong thread it actually is a recipe for pasta <laughs> yeah. so it's, so it's you're right it seems like people are just I don't know. I mean, where, where do you think it comes from? Now, to get past the personalisation, why, why? And it's men, I assume, uh, attacking you. Why? Like, what, where do you think? Is it a fear?
0: Yes. I, yes, I think it is. I think, um, um, I imagine they wouldn't see it as a fear. But just the fact that women are starting to take up public space and have opinions that people listen to threatens their idea of the world. And, you know, for a lot of these men, you know, society has not treated them well. You know, they, they might be unemployed or um, in industries that are not well paid anymore. Maybe their wife did leave them. Maybe they don't have custody of the kids and they're forced to pay, you know, child support or whatever. But these things that have not turned out well for these men are actually not caused by women. You know, it's it was a group of men that decided to offshore Australia's manufacturing that made the men unemployed. It was men who decided the laws of the family court, but yet it's such an easy target to blame women for all the problems in men's lives. So, and I think that when and seeing women take up space that used to be occupied by men, it just makes them the target for their rage that they're feeling because. Um, capitalism, essentially, has screwed them over.
1: Um, I'm interested, I don't know if you've recently been following, I think there's a Senate inquiry into the family court system that Pauline Hanson's yeah. involved in. Um,
0: yeah. I think that's uh, it's an important point to recognise that women can be just as misogynistic as men. Yes. So, and I think that, so what happens is, They've internalised it and they don't have the um, critical faculties to think about their internalised misogyny. But another thing that can happen is that women decide to pick team men because they've worked out that team women is not going to win. But what they haven't worked out is that a woman picking team men isn't going to win for them either because they're always going to be on the outside. You know, Pauline Hanson's never going to be taken seriously by the Liberal Party and Scott Morrison
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: but but she's picked them thinking that that's because she sided with the power
1: it's, in, it's, it's interesting uh right, well let let I, I think we can both agree at the moment that uh on a, on a macro level the gender <laughs> issue is not going to go away um let let bring it back to the workplace and I, I and I don't even really I know that we worked together 20 years ago but what was it like for you in the workplace? And I, I hope I wasn't a sexist pig 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> no. Um, I, sexual harassment was a normal part of being a 20-something in the workplace for me. Hmm. Um, and it, it wasn't until, really, until I was in my 30s that I looked back and actually even saw that there was something wrong with that. And I think that that has... Changed with with me too. That women are now realising that it's actually not okay for people for men to bond with their male colleagues over jokes about your breasts. Mm. Or you know, I had situations where uh, you know a man felt me up at the Christmas party, office Christmas party, asked my boyfriend for permission to have sex with me, and then I complained to HR, and um, next thing I knew, he ended up with a promotion and nothing happened. Wow. Uh, you know, but but this was just very normal, and I think that you know people are saying now, men are saying now with the, the Me Too movement, they're saying I don't know how to be a man anymore, I don't know how to interact with women, I can't risk employing a woman. But the thing is, the rules haven't changed. It's never been okay to sexually harass a woman. It's never been okay to disrespect a woman to bond with men. What's happened is that there's now some, very few, but some repercussions for that behavior. And so when men say to me, I don't know what to do, how, how can I go to my Christmas party and not get done for sexual harassment? My answer to that question is that sexual harassment is all about power. Any man who is sexually harassing a woman is more powerful than her in some way. So if you would not say what you're about to say or do what you're about to do, if you would not do that to your female boss, then don't do it to a woman who isn't your boss. And if you apply that rule, then you're not going to get done for sexual harassment.
1: I, I think it's yeah. I mean, you, sh- you shouldn't have to think about it. Maybe the fear comes about with, you know, how do you how do you flirt, for example? Like everyone sort of you know, it's a workplace and all that kind of situation. But how, how how I think a lot of the fear is how do you say flirt or get to know someone without being accused of harassment.
0: Well, again, it's like, imagine that the person you're talking to has the power to fire you and then just have your conversation. <laughs> like, you can still engage and build rapport or even flirt with someone, but you're not going to cross the line with someone who has more power than you.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's it, it, do, it does seem obvious, and it's, I think you're right, a lot of the backlashes around... Um, well, we used to be able to get away with it. That, that I think no one says it like that, but that seems like the truth.
0: Yes, yeah, and I mean, in fairness to like some of these men, I think there is there is cluelessness going on, but then the question is, well, you know, how much cluelessness do we excuse when women have been suffering and continue to suffer because of it?
1: I think one of the challenges as well for hopefully the vast majority of men that aren't sexists and sexual harassers is how do they call it out? Like, is the you know, as much as a, there's a fear and an understandable fear for women to call out sexual harassment, I think men um, don't know how to call it out when they see their peers involved in it.
0: Yes. And, you know, they've come up through school where they were required to participate in it, weren't they? That's what boys did. You know, I, I see it now in grade four at, at my daughter's school, you know, the you know the talk girl germs and don't talk to girls and I can't understand you because you speak girl. You know, already the boys are bonding with each other. They're using um, the degradation of girls to bond with their male peers. Mm. And, you know, When we were at school, that was just normal. But now we look at that and it turns our stomach and, you know, parents and teachers are are now having these conversations. So I'd like to think that, you know, the next generation will have a different perspective because it's been called out earlier.
1: It's a a big thing. We were talking about this earlier, but um, what are your thoughts on social media with regards to gender? Like it's, I think I was saying before I find Instagram, a very difficult social media to navigate. Um, and it seems filled with, you know, selfies of semi-clad mm-hmm. women. That, that's my experience of Instagram.
0: Yeah, I think um, it is sickening that objectifying yourself like that and, you know, having a yep. sex tape, is actually a rational choice for girls mm.
1: <laughs>
0: because they've seen examples of how making yourself appealing to the male gaze builds careers. You know, Kim Kardashian is everyone's superhero for having a sex tape and now having a billion-dollar empire. Um, and so it's sad that this is a... This behavior is actually rewarded for girls, and so I think it is naive and pointless to blame girls for their behavior because they're just reading the room. Mm. That this is, how this is how they are afforded the limited power, and at that age, they don't realize that it's a facsimile of power. You know, when I was twenty-five and I walked in a room and everyone's head turned at me, I thought I had power, but I didn't. And then when I'm now, you know, 43 and walk in a room and I'm invisible because I'm a middle-aged woman, you know, I I reflect back on those days where people would listen to me because I was pretty and hot. But I still didn't have credibility or power. They weren't interested in my ideas. They were interested in, you know, having a drink with me on Friday night.
1: I I suppose the thing we can hope for is that You know, as the generations go through and, you know, a few of the uh, bases and trees are chopped down from the... I don't know if I want to use trees are chopped down, but a few of the, uh, you know, uh, givens of the past are now far from given now means that we can, you know, look towards uh, a bit more equality.
0: Yeah, I think... It's really hard to get for girls to get there without the role models. There are so few role models for them that have a pathway that is not sexualized, that isn't appearance based.
1: Can, can you, who, who do you think of when you think of a role model?
0: Um, well, yeah. I mean, in politics, obviously, you know, we've mm. got Julia Gillard. Yeah. You know, like we really should have had more than one female prime minister by now. Mm. In business, I, I was. Um, talking to someone the other day who um, was referring to a study where girls were asked to list a female entrepreneur and the only one they could think of was Kim Kardashian. Wow. Um, and so even, you know, our female athletes are sexualized. You know, it's the, and it's the hot ones that get the, big, the better sponsorship deals or then they end up, you know, modeling somewhere or whatever. Um,
1: But don't be too aggressive like Serena Williams or you'll get slammed.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, as a teenage girl who's just trying to find her way in the world, it's really hard to not adopt that stereotype that we're trying to move away from of being the um, demure sex object. Or, I mean, what they're allowed to be, girls are allowed to be but that is different from being powerful. You're allowed to be sassy. You're allowed to have a smart mouth. As long as when it really counts, you shut up and do what the man says. And I see that getting back to the young adult novel that we wrote. That was one of the things that we wanted to address. You know, in so many young adult novels, I find it really hard to think of an example of where a young girl, the heroine falls in love with a love interest that isn't more powerful than her. He's older, he's wiser, he's got better magic, he's richer. In some way, the, the the heroine can be feisty and have opinions, but then she makes herself smaller for love. Hmm. And,
1: and you know
0: what teenage girl doesn't want love, right? And so then they look at that model and then they make themselves appealing.
1: All hey, right, we've got a long way to go, Okay.
0: I know. <laughs> a... I feel like that with my column too. I've been writing a weekly column since 2012, and I often feel like the best I can hope for is to hold ground rather than to push forward.
1: But it's it's funny. Like I think the stuff of yours that's got you know that gets a bit viral, it could be any of your articles. It, the the viralness is actually often by the uh, underpinned by the trolls in a way. Yes. <laughs> So it's an anachronism that if you really want to get something out there, you want to get trolled.
0: Well, yeah, there are certainly, um, yeah, the hate, hate clicks. People write for hate clicks. Yeah. My most read article, which has been read over 10 million times, was a letter that I wrote to my mother about body image. Okay. And about breaking the cycle of body hatred, saying that you hated your body. You taught me to hate my body. Let's not teach my children to hate their bodies. And yeah, it has been translated into countless languages and wow. reprinted all over the world. So and in Australia as well. So I think that yeah, body image it's so core to the oppression of women. That idea First of all, that, you know, when you're so focused on your physical flaws, you're not thinking about, you know, making a difference in the world or following your dreams. It also keeps girls and women poor. I wrote an article um, a couple of months back about what young women are expected to spend on just beauty maintenance services. And in 10 years, that adds up to quarter of a million dollars.
1: That is insane.
0: And that's just the basic services and it, it keeps growing you know year on year and now you know now you have to have fake eyelashes and you know when I was 20 there was no such thing um
1: I oh, look I can see with my with my girls and we you know we, we we literally you know they get the bare minimum kind of thing but it's you know like waxing laser and they're not even doing the uh Brazilian waxing and all of that that's that's expensive and then there's The face and facials. And in fact, I made my son actually have a facial as well, (laughs) which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I mean, those figures are horrific and it's to what end?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that could mean the difference between retiring with a roof over your head or not.
1: Hmm. But it it would be so rebellious not to groom.
0: Yeah, this is just... the. They're taught that this is now the minimum requirement just to be acceptable.
1: It's uh, it's funny because I, you know, not not to focus on pubic hair, but I grew up in an era of pubic hair, and I <laughs> don't I don't understand the desire to infantilize infantilize you know your privates.
0: I know it's it's actually gross, isn't it? When you think of it that way, Look, I-, I read an article just going back to your story about the body waxing. That um, you know, the growth of the manscaping, and that you know, when our feminist foremothers fought for gender equality, making men suffer as much as women is not what we had in mind. Uh,
1: yeah, um, absolutely, um, I, I, it's um, we'll see how we'll see how that one plays out because it's uh, I I acknowledge it's a cheap gag and it will you know it will uh, it will definitely play well on audio, but it's um, uh, it. It, it it is interesting. It, it is interesting that the amount of time we spend on that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, I, actually, a friend of mine said a while back that she hasn't had sex with a man for five years who's had pubic hair.
1: I see. I've, I've been married for too long to know the difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a whole bizarre world. It's a bizarre world that we're. We're living it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I want to be positive that we are moving forward, but um, just, it, it, it is tough that we don't have, you're, you're right, there aren't, not only are there not female leaders to look up to, I, I struggle with male, um, you know, people to look up for that are actually making a stand in this space. You even think someone like Justin Trudeau, who a few months ago we were going, like, he, he's, you know, he's the, uh, you know, model to follow and, you know, stuff's come up about him.
0: Yeah, I know. I know this is the problem with putting people on pedestals, though, as well, isn't it? Um, we just, we, rather, rather than having these heroes that could possibly never live up to it, we just need to all rise up a little bit more together, don't we? I, I,
1: I absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. But I, I
0: think it, but it needs to happen at policy level, rather than at you know, charismatic leader level. And so you mentioned um, in your email about, you know, quotas, for example. Mm. We will never move forward without quotas because people, we know that employers employ people like themselves. We know that. So when employers are white men, they're going to employ white men have the same life as them. And this whole idea of merit is such a distraction to equality because it just so happens that what we value in merit fits within our definition of the white male lifestyle and white male behaviours. Um, so, yeah, I think until we actually force people to um, behave in an equal way, then we're not going to reach equality. See
1: so, yeah, I agree with that. And that's funny because I lived... Before I met you, if you remember, I lived in South Africa for a year working for Oz Trade. We'll probably have to, if if I use this, I'll edit out Oz Trade. But I, um, but living in South Africa, where as they would brought in affirmative action, you know, based on race, and I think what it did was, there's no doubt if you're a white male, an uneducated white male. There were repercussions for you in affirmative action, and I think stuff like you have to somehow build something to mitigate against that. However, the outcome were were you know half the boards were of people of color when there was you know less than ten percent a few years earlier. So I think if you know bringing that kind of stuff into politics into the workplace of having uh, quota systems is important, and it do, it does it does change society in a positive way.
0: But what interests me is that businesses should actually be insisting on them. So we know that when women are on boards, companies are more profitable. We know that when women are traders, banks lose less money. We know that women who are farmers have more profitable farms. So if companies have a legal obligation to maximize their shareholder profits, one way to do that, which has been proven many times over, is to have female executives. So why aren't they having female executives? Why aren't they insisting on it when we know that it will improve their bottom line?
1: Because I think the people that are changing policies want to look after their own. That's very obvious.
0: Yeah. I, yes, I think that what is, they, they are more scared of reporting to a woman than
1: they are about profits. Oh, it's, it's so true. Case, I've got to run. Um, I'm sure you do. I really, I really enjoyed this, and I, I hope it recorded. But if not, we're going to have to do it again. Um, All right, <laughs> you... um, it
0: was very nice talking to you,
1: Rob.
0: I, re- I really enjoyed
1: it. Hey, listen, do you ever come up to Sydney? I do. Yes. All
0: right. Okay.
1: So <laughs> next time you're at, give me a day. I'll, uh, I'll. We'll, we'll share a coffee. We'll hang around Oz Trade and see yeah, all the yeah. people we don't know. <laughs>
0: you were friends with Soraya Co-
1: Coates, weren't you? No, I don't I know. i not that I'm, I tell you who I like. I mean, Rob Samuel. I stayed in contact with. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And Greg Joffe a little bit. Um,
0: okay,
1: yeah. But um, tell you who. I, do you remember Charmy? I, I remember I reported to her. I don't want. I have no idea where she is.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really, I know Soraya and Greg Joffe. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's funny, because, I mean, I Oz Trade for me was such a left, uh, I don't know, it was so odd, because I actually...